You're listening to a Shockcast original. Shock. Hello and welcome to the Podball Sportscast, the podcast that won't make fun of Ollie today. Scouts honor. Actually, I'm not a scout lah. PBSM for life. <laughs> With me are Karami Kamil. What's happening, guys? Whose goals are disallowed by VAR. Darn it. And Nicholas John. Hello, hello. He's the official handling the VAR. Yeah, the referee is hiding behind me. I am Faisal American, who was caught offside by my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> The World Cup qualifiers are wrapping up and boy, do we have some huge results. Let's start with the big one. England finished their campaign with a stunning 10-0 win over San Marino. Harry Kane scored four and there were goals from Emil Smith-Rowe, Tyrone Mings, Tammy Abraham, Bukayo Saka and even Harry Maguire. Now, for people who ignored England previously, I hope they have your attention now. Oh, good lord. Oh, wait, it gets worse. It gets worse. (laughs) Why'd you do that, Paisal? It wasn't Gareth Southgate in charge. It was Eric Ten Hag. (laughs) It was definitely a decadent performance from the uh, Three Lions, right? Oh, good lord. Send help, (laughs) please. (laughs) Uh, Yes, it was. But it was... We were expecting this, but not the... Not the 10 goals, but we were expecting England to dominate San Marino. Uh, San Marino have only scored once before in this in this qualification round, while England has not yet lost. So just based on players, I, we know that England England really should have won this. And but I think the the main point is that they they qualified automatically to the Qatar World Cup, and Harry Kane scoring four. Uh, back-to-back hat-tricks, uh, I think it's good for him since he's not getting any in Tottenham. So... Is that <laughs> <laughs> So I think all in all, it's a good, it's a good result for, for England and Harry Kane. Uh, but, but I also think it, it raises that question once again about matches like this. Your big teams like England and all that going up against your... Minos, you know, San Marino and Liechtenstein and, and Andorra and all that. Um, in terms of competitiveness, I mean, nobody expected San Marino to win, let alone draw against England, right? So in terms of competitiveness, it, it's almost non-existent. Nobody really wants to watch these kinds of matches. So uh, it, it goes back again to what some people have suggested, that we need, or rather UEFA needs a way to kind of filter out these weaker teams so that the best among them moves into the actual uh, qualifying group. Kind of like what we have with the Champions League. You know, you've got your Champions League qualification, weed out the weaker teams so that the slightly more decent teams uh, end up playing in in the actual uh, qualifying stage. So you mean that these teams need to qualify for the qualifying matches? Qualify for the (laughs) qualifying... Well, you know, otherwise we end up with with a situation like this. Would you watch San Marino versus England? Honestly, come on. No, I didn't. Right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, San Marino was so bad, you have this feeling that even uh, Malaysia could get a result against them. (laughs) (laughs) England are at the top of their group while uh, 
Poland are in the playoffs. Speaking of the playoffs, Portugal will be there as well. They finished second in the group after a 2-1 loss to Serbia, who gained automatic promotion. It is a setback, but there's no doubt that uh, Portugal will actually be in Qatar, right? Hey, you never know, actually, because this this Portugal side were expected... It, it was expected to be an easy win uh, an easy group for them to win and yet here they are condemned to, to the playoffs um i think their last match the goalless draw against uh ireland earlier this month if they had won that one they would have been in a much better position to qualify they wouldn't have had to worry so much about this uh serbia match uh, but also having said that they were quite poor the serbians you could just tell they 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 wanted it more there was more desire more intensity portugal seemed a bit like you know a, a bit meh and ronaldo who's always you know the one who's supposed to come and save the team didn't really do much here well it's pretty harsh to blame it all on ronaldo because he has been carrying this team for what more than a decade now right. and i think fernando santos the manager has been has been receiving heavy criticism for his style of play after winning the Euro 2016. But if I were a Portugal fan, I would question the performance of Bruno Fernandes and other players. And I mean, Diogo Jota did kind of well with Portugal, but Bruno Fernandes, he has not been himself since his superb start in Manchester United. Again, I have to stress that it's pre- it's really harsh to blame this on Ronaldo. And bear in mind, Ronaldo is 36. So yeah, he needs a break, I think. Another team in the playoffs is uh, Italy. They had a goalless draw against Northern Ireland. Uh, so they finished in second place behind Switzerland, who beat Bulgaria 4-0. Italy, if, if you look at their record, they've actually been a little bit below par since they won uh, the, the Euro 2020 final. They had a draw against uh, Switzerland, a draw against Bulgaria. Uh, they lost to Spain in the Nations League semi-final and then... You know, here, yeah, a goalless draw with Northern Ireland and then before that, another one-all draw with Switzerland. So, um, they were doing so well at the Euros and everyone was saying, oh, this is the new look Italy and, and they're going to dominate after that. It, it doesn't seem to have happened. They've had quite a number of draws where they should have won. Now, here they had um, a lot of injuries, like a Chiro Immobile. But it's not just that, isn't it? It seems like they're having an extended Euro 2020 hangover. It could be from the Euro's hangover, but I think this is just a blip in their performance. And Faisal did ask us whether Portugal would surely be in the World Cup, right? I think Italy would really, really should be in the World Cup and I think they'll make it through the playoffs just based on their mm. their the quality of the players and Mancini being at the helm I, I think they would they would cruise through the playoffs and be there in Qatar next year mm. it would be an absolute shock if they don't make it though right can you imagine European champions like one month and then like two months later they fail to make it to the World Cup we have more content then <laughs> <laughs> more stuff to talk about <laughs> Elsewhere, Spain had a 1-0 win over Sweden. And finally, North Macedonia made it to the playoffs. Uh, they had a 3-1 win over Iceland uh, to finish in the group behind Germany. 
Okay, moving on to uh, Formula One. Lewis Hamilton won the Brazilian F1 GP to cut Max Verstappen's lead in the Drivers' uh, Championship. So it is definitely inching towards a final race decider. Yeah, it, it's really going down uh, to the wire. And, and it was an awesome race uh, in Brazil by Hamilton in particular. And, and he showed exactly why he's the seven-time world champion, you know, starting in 10th and then carving his way up the field um, and then to eventually overtake the two Red Bulls of uh, Sergio Perez and then Hamilton, uh, sorry, Verstappen uh, to take the checkered flag. So it, it, it the, there was a period in the past couple of races where Mercedes and Hamilton looked like they were struggling a little bit. And it was looking like Red Bull were in... in Full position, no pun intended. No pun intended to to go on and, and win the title. But it's good to see that Mercedes and Hamilton are bouncing back, especially as we head into the final uh, three races of the mm-hmm. season. 14, 14 point lead, right? Uh, was happen now? Hold on, uh, let me check. Uh, what is uh, Verstappen's uh, points uh, lead? No, 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 that was his dad. Uh, what is Max Verstappen's lead? Yep, 14 points. Now, before the race, there was quite a bit of drama, right? Hamilton was disqualified from uh, first qualifying due to a technical infringement with his car. Uh, Verstappen was fined for touching Hamilton's car during Park Fermi. And now that Hamilton's won, uh, Red Bull say they're not ruling out making another protest over a Mercedes's rear wing. This reminds me of Formula One of old, the uh, petty rivalry between uh, the top teams. Honestly, they're like uh, two annoying kids in school, right, who will report on each other to the teacher for anything. Yeah, and I think it's unfortunate that all the issues like this is, is taking away from what is some really good action on track, you know, wheel-to-wheel racing between the two title contenders, and, and that is what we should be focusing on. Unfortunately, like you said, it's all starting to get a little bit petty. Don't get me wrong, like, you know, if, if there's blatant infringement by either one of them, Red Bull or Mercedes, then it should be reported, action should be taken. But if it's nothing blatant, then let the drivers race. Let Hamilton and Verstappen decide the title out on track. And you talk about rivalries in the past. Me, personally, I think they should do what Ayrton Senna and, and Alan Prost used to do last time. You know, you race so hard that sometimes you even crash into each other, take each other out. That is what racing should be, on the track. Okay, moving on. Um, some sad news for MotoGP. Valentino Rossi uh, finally called time on his uh, career after the Valencia Grand Prix. It is definitely uh, sad to see him go. Uh, definitely, it is sad after 26, 25, 26 years of uh, of racing. Uh, Rossi decided to call it a day. He's forty two now. God, he was he was racing since he was sixteen. Where were you guys when you all were sixteen? Lonely and depressed. <laughs> and he won nine world titles. And I think he did say that he is a bit, uh, just a bit upset that he could not get his tenth world championship. Uh, I think most of that was was due to his beef with Marc Marquez, if you all remember. But it was great watching him race. Uh, he did have a few classic battles against Max Biaggi during the during the five hundred cc series. Jorge Lorenzo, just to name a few. I, I don't know. I just hope that he enjoys life after this. It's not totally the end for Rossi, right? Because uh, he has his own team. Uh, yes, he does. And he has been producing young riders, Faisal. And it's great to see that one of the greats is giving back to the to the sport. And his team, VR46, I guess, 
producing great great riders in Moto Three and Moto Two. So it's good. It's it's good for the sport, and it, I think the future looks bright for for Moto GP. I, I think Rossi's retirement is a, you can say the epitome of the end of an era. You know that that term is used a lot these days, but in Rossi's case, I think it's it's very accurate. Fans grew up, you know, watching, uh, idolizing Rossi, and then he, he's he's been. Like for, for a quarter of a century, he's he's been a rider who's a, a permanent fixture there, and 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 a fan favorite, and very popular off and on the track. So yeah, it'll it'll be sad to see him go, you know. And if you want to do a comparison, like F one has has Michael Schumacher as its standard bearer, uh, basketball had Michael Jordan, football had Maradona. For MotoGP, it, it's quite clearly uh, Rossi. So yeah, we'll be sad to see him go. And uh, just to add another thing. He did not really acknowledge Mark Marquez during his after his last race. So I think he's still holding some grudge against Mark Marquez. Well, he I did try know. and kick him off his bike, right? So <laughs> Rossi is gone and uh, we are going to. That's the end of another Potball Sportscast. How's that for a segue? I am Faisal Merican. I am Karami Kamil. And I'm Nicholas John. Goodbye, stay healthy both physically and mentally. 